Welcome to Decoding Superhuman. This show is a deep dive into obsessions with performance and how to improve the human experience. Twice a week, I explore the latest science, technology, and tactics with experts in various fields of human optimization. I'm your host, Boomer Anderson. Enjoy the journey. Superhumans, it's Boomer Anderson, and we are back with a very special episode of the Decoding Superhuman podcast. Cardiovascular disease is the leading preventable cause of death in the European Union as well as the United States. I haven't tackled it directly on this show. You've heard me mention my own experiences with it, as well as probably some of my family's experiences with it. But I haven't tackled it because I wanted to get the right person on. And today, my guest is Patrick Toit. And Patrick is an engineer who has successfully managed to reverse his coronary artery disease. Patrick gladly came on the show to talk about a lot of things with me. But we go through a little bit about how he discovered he had heart disease and decided to attack what he calls the seven-headed dragon. We talk about dynamic systems and whole systems approaches to really reversing what is seen as an irreversible monster. We get into the roles of different vitamins, things like A, D, E, magnesium, and CoQ10. We, of course, talk about vitamin D, K, and C as well. We get into the diet and the importance of a ketogenic diet when looking at cardiovascular disease, but also for those with APOE variants, an alternative for you. Talk about one meal a day, eating, and so much more. Patrick was extremely generous with his time. And so I'm extremely grateful to him for sharing his knowledge and continuing to give people hope that we can tackle this seven-headed monster. The show notes for this one are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash K as in the letter K. That'll give you a hint about what we got into at the end. Enjoy my episode with the magnificent Patrick Toit. Patrick, welcome. Hey, Boomer, happy to be here. Uh, There is so many things. You can imagine my excitement to have this conversation because listeners of the show have known my obsession, fascination, and experience with cardiovascular disease. And reading your work, reading all of the things that you've done is exciting. So thank you for everything you've done to this point. I'm very much humbled by being here. Let's, if you don't mind, I want to, I want to talk a little bit about the origin story because I know my origin story was in itself um, a struggle. But Mm -hmm. for you, how did you find out you had heart disease? And if you don't mind taking us through kind of the shock of it, because I (laughs) I know my experience was a little bit of a, hey, I thought I was doing everything right. Oh, yeah, me too. Well, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll get it going this way. Uh, I'd like to say, I, there's an old Hindu saying, you are where you are because of what you did way back when. <laughs> yeah. 
So I, 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 I'm here not by choice, <laughs> kind of by chance, really. I'm presently a production manager at a paper mill in central Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. I've been in the paper industry 45 some odd years, and I've been a, a coach in various, various sports for 50 some odd years. My educational background is I got a BS degree. I got a major in chemistry, a major in biology, a major in environmental chemistry, a major in math. I got minors in speech, business, paper, science, and I was a pre-med, but I never made it to medical school. And as my guy buddies that went to medical school said, you probably wouldn't have made it anyway. They'd have kicked you out. <laughs> uh, I, I've got a master's in biochemical engineering. I got a tier one MBA from the University of Minnesota, the Carlson School, which you're somewhat familiar with. I am. And uh, I graduated in 71 there, and I've got a master's in statistics, and I'm presently working on my PhD in leadership. Uh, I've got a number of patents, and I've got a number of uh, copyrighted articles and stuff like that. And my real specialty is process control and instrumentation systems with a subspecialty in anaerobic aerobic digestion. I kind of go, what does that all have to do with things? Well, yeah, it all kind of yeah. So how did... And, and on top of all that, I was severely dyslexic as a child. And that worked to my advantage later on in life. And I, I'll cover that a little later on. Mm-hmm. But um, early on in life, my mother, who was a very creative person, never went to college, but very, very creative. She taught me to read books backwards because she found if I read a book backwards, I knew what the book was. It's dyslexia. Wow. Yeehaw. <laughs> yeah. So, and then she wanted me to figure out how to connect dots. So we had these little books that you could connect all these dots and make a picture. Mm-hmm. Well, she could see, I couldn't quite understand how to connect dot number one with dot number two. So she erased all the numbers. And so she just gave me the book and she said, go for it. She would watch how I would, my brain would figure out how those dots were all interconnected and how it would generate a picture. So I ended up being pretty good at connecting dots, <laughs> which wow. is crazy. So, and then she taught me how to play chess and checkers and cribbage and euchre and solitaire at a very young age. And, uh, you know, I, I read a tremendous amount. And one of your questions to me was, what was the book that influenced me the most or mm-hmm. so? When I was 11, she made me read uh, Norman Vincent Peale's book, The Power of Positive Thinking. Now, imagine an 11-year-old reading Yeah, that. your mom sounds like somebody I'd love to talk to quite a bit, oh, too. <laughs> She was born 50 years ahead of her time. Yeah. Uh, brilliant lady. So how did all this start? Well, I'm getting my MBA at the University of Minnesota. Two of the guys in the class were from the Mayo Clinic. And they would they would ask the other people, hey, you want to get an executive physical? So they were kind of recruiting for the clinic. It mm-hmm. was cool. And so one thing leads to another. In 2002, in November of 2002, I said, yeah, I'll go for three-day physical. Yeehaw. So I go down there. Go through the whole bloody physical. So you're in Rochester, Minnesota, which is an amazing town. Yeah, it's a great place. Great place. And I go through the whole physical, and I'm on my last day. And you get this attending personal care physician to watch you all, all through the, the maze of the mail. And she says, well, we're all done. It's time for lunch. But I have to ask you one question. Is there anything else you want done? I said, yes. I was driving through Chicago a couple of months ago, and they talked about this fast CT scan of your heart. <laughs> Honest to God, this is how this happened. Yeah. And I said, do you got one of them? <laughs> <laughs> we 
which you're at one of the best hospitals in the world. So of course. And she says, yes, we do, but I don't recommend it. I said, why not? Well, you passed everything. You're fine. I says, well, yeah, but I'm curious because that's how I am. This This, this, by the way, sounds very similar to the conversation I had with my doctor at the time. It was like, Mm -hmm. you don't need this, but if you want to get it, I'll order it for you. (laughs) Exactly. It is the same concept. It is absolutely the same concept. So I get the scan done. uh, And then I went to lunch and I had a pot roast, potatoes, gravy, green beans, and a shoe for a beer. I'll never forget that because then they had the exit interview at 1.30. I walk into the room. Here's my two buddies from the Mayo and everybody else. I walk in. I sit down. I said, it was Dr. Williams who was the vice chair of psychology and psychiatry. And I said, Donnie, looks like somebody just died. <laughs> he put his head. He went, yeah. Okay. Oh. <laughs> On the flat screen, they put my, my heart scan up there. And they're going through the sagittal sections of my heart. And then they hit my left main. It glows like a rib. Wow. And I went, oh, that doesn't look good. <laughs> and Dr. Raj starts laughing. He went, oh, Toy, you are a master of the obvious. I said, well, yeah. <laughs> At that point, it was like, oh, this is really bad. Mm-hmm. So I did a, 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 stress, uh, a stress echo the next week. Passed it with flying colors. By at that point, I'm still a dumb youper, and you know what youpers are. We're from Upper Michigan, yeah. And uh, we're kind of a naive bunch of folks, but uh, and uh, so I go to my attending cardiologist and I say, "Well, what's the problem?" <laughs> he told me the problem. And he said, "You're going to be dead in four years, so get all your get your life in order." And his exact quote to me was, "Divorce your wife, buy a Harley." Find a bimbo, drive out to Venice Beach and sell surfboard wax. You've done a great job with your wife and kids, but it's time for you to have a little time for yourself before you're gone. That's that's pretty stark. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, uh, the doc, the the attending cardiologist talked to Doctor Williams and said, "We don't normally tell people the truth when it comes <laughs> to stuff like this." And 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 Doctor Williams said, "Well, this is twite." He, he's got great BS detectors, mm-hmm. so just tell him. He says, well, I don't want the guy going postal. And, and he said, Twight won't go postal. So, so the attending cardiologist says this to me, and I looked at him dead in the eye, and I said, my body got me into this mess. My body's going to get me out of this mess, very matter-of-factly. So as I'm leaving the clinic, uh, Raj and Donnie says, well, how'd it go? And I says, well, I got my work cut out for me. That's all I said to him. Got my car, go back to back home and start working on it. Mm-hmm. And that's really how all this started. So the attending cardiologist went to Raj and Donnie and said, uh, how'd it go? What did he say? Uh, and they said, well, he's going to work on it. And he goes, he's going to try and solve his left vein being completely calcified from the wall of the heart to the branch. Are you kidding? And Donnie goes, he should have seen the look in his eye. Mm-hmm. And Raj goes, oh, Pat has that look again. Oh, watch out. Here it comes. So, so I just jumped right in and went right at it. So, Patrick, I have to ask because of my own experience here. You did the stress echo and you passed that. With flying colors. With flying colors. Any? Did they make you do an angiogram? No, they didn't. Okay. Uh, 
anyways, we don't need to go down that path. Uh, yeah, you, you know, for you, Ralph, angiograms are dangerous. Let's just put it that yeah. way. And you get a hell of a dose of radiation. Hell of a dose, right. that's for sure. Uh, talk us through how you started unpacking this, because you've got quite a number of hours researching. Mm-hmm. What, yeah, about 16,000. 16,000. And I want to ask a question on that in a moment, but... Uh, how did you start unpacking it? Because look, very quickly when I started unpacking it, you realize that there there's a very complex system behind it. And, oh, it's a busy system, and yeah. it is not just cholesterol, um, right? Or cholesterol may not even be a component in some cases. But how did you unpack it? What what was you know, sort of the mind? Pretty simple. Pretty simple. Uh, I've always been a, a high end athlete. Mm-hmm. So I had that athletic attitude of I can do this mm-hmm. and, and not a naive way of doing it. I, I know if I, if I stay focused, I can get this done. I was an ice hockey goalie. And so that explains. I, I, I was left defense. So, I was, okay. yeah. yeah. So you kind of know what goalies are like. They're goalies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, like ice hockey goalies rank right behind sort of lacrosse goalies and kind of exactly. interesting factors. Yes. So anyway, the first thing I did when I got back to the house, uh, I broke out of my library, Dirk, and, Dirk Pearson's and Sandy Shaw's book, Life Extensions, which I had purchased in 1982, but after I'd seen them on either Tom Snyder or Merv Griffin or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I had read it back then. And, and as a high-end athlete, I was always into a ketogenic diet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, just, you just have to be because carbs just screw up your performance. So I, I've always been kind of a keto, quasi-keto kind of guy because that's how I grew up. Mm-hmm. And so I, I read that, got some ideas, and then, you know, I had been on the internet since 96. Uh, thank you, Al Gore. Appreciate that. And, uh, <laughs> so Great. back then, and starting in November of 2002, I would start reading after everybody went to bed for two to four to six hours a night. Uh, and at work, I was given free time to do that at work. Uh, all the peer-reviewed articles that I could find in cardiology, literally back then, you could search the whole world because it was just geeky stuff on the internet. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of hooey out there. So I just started reading and reading and reading and reading and reading. And I'm good at reading. I'm a, pretty much a speed reader. And I'm great at retention. And from <laughs> being a little kid, I'm good at connecting dots. So that's how all this started uh and it's sort of become a hobby mm-hmm. it's a hobby to have but it's somewhat of a hobby so anyway uh what i did was by april of 2003 i had pretty much determined uh a whole lot of things that has taken the world a while to catch up to first one body fat's not your friend in mm-hmm. the second week vitamin d plays a big role by week three, magnesium plays a big role, and phosphoric acid and colas are really bad for you. By week four, cheap carbs, grains, and sugar will kill you. Honest to God, yeah, that's now this is January of 2003. Wow. Carbs will kill you. Your diet should be high in broccoli and sauerkraut and should comprise high fat, medium protein, and some complex carbs. There are only seven good oils, butter, lard, coconut oil, olive oil, fish oil, mac nut oil, and almond oil. By week seven, uh, alcohol is a dose-dependent uh, thing, boost your HDL, but you got to keep your B vitamins up. By week eight, 
The HDL boost from exercise is based on sustained heart rate at or near maximum theoretical for at least a half hour every other day. Other than that, exercise doesn't work. Uh, free T3 plays a big role in cardiac uh, issues. Too much and too little is a problem. And then by week 10, heart disease is a gut bacteria problem. That's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> wow. So in 10 weeks, you effectively have taught yourself more than 99.9% of the general public knows. Mm-hmm. And I would venture to guess many physicians know about okay. cardiovascular issues. Yep, that's correct. Okay. So now so I'm, not, I'm not done yet. <laughs> okay. Now here's one for all the geeks out there. Uh, heart disease is a surface chemistry problem. It's the surface chemistry of LDL and HDL. Macrophages and, micro- and uh, stuff like that. By week 12, APOE status makes a big difference. By week 13, vitamin C makes a difference. By week 14, citrulline and lysine make a difference. By week 15, LDLs mo- the LDL model is incorrect, a.k.a. the Framingham Heart Study. Mm-hmm. That's completely cherry-picked information. It's statistically irrelevant. But HDL and triglycerides are important. Uh, a good night's sleep is important. Uh, stress brings vitamin D, so learn how to relax. Uh, by week eight, by 18 weeks, it took a while to get into this mess. It'll take a while to get out of it. So you're not going to fix this thing overnight. And by week 19, in the engineering world, if it moves, it's going to break. So there you go. That's what I did in the first 19 weeks. Wow. 19 weeks is less than five months, and you're already picking apart this thing quite a bit. Now, what I love is your rigor and the amount of testing that you do. And I want to get into just sort of how to do that testing here in a second. Sure. But if I'm, if I'm getting this right, so six hours a night, six hours a day spent on peer-reviewed studies, 12,000 hours, like... Walk me through how you're able to, did work allow you to do this? Did you just block out all of your time so that your free time was spent becoming a sort of closet um, cardiology hobbyist? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, was, I was a corporate troubleshooter at the time mm-hmm. for Fortune 500 paper company. Mm-hmm. I was on the road all the time. And so I would go to the various mills and the senior vice president of operations knew of my, I called it my speed bump. And he said, get your work done. And then I don't want you hanging around in control rooms, shooting the breeze with guys and coffee clatching. I want you downstairs trying to figure out how to save your life. So I would get my work done. And then they would give me free time at work to basically save my life. And then I would be on the road. So I'd be in a motel room. And rather than chase skirts and drink alcohol like everybody else did, I just sat there and sometimes I would read for, sometimes I wouldn't even go to, go to sleep. I just read all night because I found some fascinating article or series of articles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just kept pecking away and pecking away and pecking away. Can we touch on some of this? Because I think you've, sure. in your 19 weeks of discovery and just the first 19 weeks, you touch on a very important component, which is that this is a very dynamic system that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of elements here that need unpacking in order to attack something like cardiovascular disease effectively. You mentioned there are two that I would love to talk a little bit more about here. Um, 
heart disease as a gut bacteria problem and then surface chemistry problem. Mm-hmm. Sure. Whichever order you prefer. Oh, we'll, we'll start with the gut bacteria thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty simple. Uh, one of the things that I built or as part of the building was I built the world's largest intestine in 2006 at a paper mill. <laughs> it, it, Sorry, I'm laughing, crazy. but I'm, I'm just trying to picture this in terms of like, what, you what do you, get real because <laughs> it's like, is it a paper mache intestine or? <laughs> no, it's a, imagine you've got five, uh, being from Minnesota, you, you know, a grain, grain silos. Yeah, look like, exactly. Right? Imagine five grain silos all hooked together, which kind of look like intestines. Yeah, uh, they do. I can see <laughs> it. And we we had this problem with our process in which we had to digest 250 tons of wood sugar. Now, just think about 250 tons of table sugar if you had to digest that. Well, we had I, I was given the challenge of figuring out how to digest a five-carbon Sugar, which according to literature was impossible. And I told everybody, no, it's not impossible. Bacteria are damn creative. Mm-hmm. So I learned a lot of things over the last, those couple of years about how the gut does what the gut does. And it just validated what I learned earlier. When you take a bolus of food, it, it goes through your intestine. It takes, if you eat once a day, it takes 12, 48 hours. Mm-hmm. During that time, your gut bacteria are instructed by the body to liberate certain chemicals from the food that you eat. And if you can't liberate those chemicals, it instructs the gut bacteria to make the chemicals you need from the precursors that are in the food that you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of like it, if you like shopping at Whole Foods, but you don't have a Whole Foods and you got an Aldi, you make the best of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you just make the best of it. Now, how does this work? for humans is that the older you get, your hormones change. Case in point, premenopausal and postmenopausal women. Premenopausal women basically don't get heart disease. Postmenopausal women do. So what changed? Hormones. Now, why would hormones cause a problem? Hmm. Well, what do the hormones do? They tell the gut bacteria what to do. And henceforth, when you are no longer able to reproduce, why should you have these signals going to your gut bacteria to produce chemicals that you need to make babies? Mm-hmm. Pretty much that was the logic that I used back in January of 2003. And just recently, the Cleveland Clinic on a YouTube video was talking about, we've, we've got this correlation or whatever that gut bacteria cause heart disease. Well, no kidding. <laughs> that figured out a while ago. But yeah, it's, and, and that's how it came about. It's just using critical thinking and logic and saying it's got to have be the be the issue. Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, uh, what happens now is you take a supplement, and the supplement makes up for the gen- the lack of genetic expression that's going on in your by your gut bacteria. Mm-hmm. Henceforth, you keep your system running pretty well. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Yeah, it, it is absolutely fascinating. Now you throw in the vagus nerve and all of that. Yeah. You've got all sorts of other crazy stuff going on. And then the latest research to validate what I said shows that vitamin D levels dictate whether or not your gut bacteria liberate calcium. That's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. And so, just really quickly on that, is it just 
So vitamin D levels drop to levels of say like quote unquote rickets levels. That's yes. the signal to liberate calcium or is it the inverse where it goes too high? It's the yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. Yeah, there's, there's, you see vitamin D is carried on a carrier protein and that carrier protein apparently has some signaling things going on with it mm-hmm. that people don't really understand. But if your vitamin D levels are normal and the carrier protein is a happy camper, it only liberates the calcium that you need. Mm-hmm. And I've, but here's the thing. If you take calcium, or as I say to people, if you go chew on some limestone, <laughs> that stuff gets into your system and your body goes, what in the heck do I do with all of this mm-hmm. stuff? So because you've just thrown the body out of whack, the calcium is then deposited in places where it shouldn't be deposited, like in the form of kidney stones, uh, joints, and in the heart. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, Surface chemistry. It's deposited, it's deposited by a chemical called phetoin A. Oh, let, talk yeah, let's talk about phetoin A because I was reading your cardiac manifesto, duh, uh, mm-hmm. to pronounce it in somewhat of a French way. But I, phetoin A, it, it, you know, it's one thing I haven't been able to test for yet, and but also would like to just hear your what you know about phetoin A. Okay, phetoin A is a carrier protein for calcium. Mm-hmm. Phetoin A takes your calcium where it's needed. Phetoin A is made by the liver. Phetoin A, you can't get a test for it because they won't let you. You can get it. And I'm working on how to do it. And I've kind of figured out how to work through the back door to get the testing done. But when I have asked major hospitals to do this for me, mm-hmm. I have been met with a tremendous amount of, uh, uh, no, thank you. <laughs> it's, it's pretty bad. Now, here's the thing with phetoin A. People who have chronic kidney disease die of heart disease. Isn't that interesting? You would think you would die of kidney failure. Uh Uh-uh. You die of hardening of the arteries Mm -hmm. and hardening of the kidneys. And they found that phetoin A, due to, from what the literature indicates, due to uh, dialysis, is taken out of your body. Mm -hmm. When phetoin A levels drop, your calcium issues manifest themselves they go up tenfold or hundredfold or thousandfold and then you die of hardening of the arteries isn't that something so they're now develop trying to develop a synthetic phetoin a to give to chronic kidney disease patients so they don't have heart disease <coughs> fascinating huh so so how this all ties back into heart disease yeah. is that when you loosen up and I, I can go through the steps of it. You have to see all the steps to get to where the phetoin A comes in. Mm-hmm. But if you start at the very end where the phetoin A comes in, the magnesium has loosened up the calcium that's resident on the uh, screwed up vascular smooth muscle cells. Mm-hmm. The phetoin goes in there, grabs the calcium, either takes it back to the, back to the uh, liver for reprocessing or takes it to the bone for deposition. Mm-hmm. But that's how it works. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's like, as you pointed out, this is a busy system. There's a lot of stuff going on. But I think, given what the literature shows now, I think we're close to figuring out exactly all the steps in this. And this is fascinating. And just because phetoin A is not the the pure answer here, uh, I want to talk a little bit about surface chemistry, which you mentioned earlier. Okay, Talk about the surface chemistry problem here. Now, this is one that you can have some fun with your local personal care physician. (laughs) Maybe not not here, but... 
<laughs> well, I don't want to diss medicine. We we got the best breakdown maintenance system in the world, and I love it. We have a great system. And yeah. again, if it wasn't for the mail, I'd be dead. Yeah. So, and if I'm you get shot, right? Like you're not, you're gonna be okay. Yeah. So here here's how it goes. What is the purpose of LDL and HDL? You ask your personal care physician, and they go, "I don't know." They'll be honest with you. LDL, HDL, and VLDL are basically the UPS, US mail, FedEx, DHL trucks that haul your fat-soluble vitamins all over your freaking body. Mm-hmm. They don't quite tell you that part. No. So, <laughs> just, just saying, you know, this is how it works. So, and how is it carried? It's carried on the surface of the LDL and HDL and VLDL. So you've got this little golf ball with, I like to call it porcupine quills hanging off of it. And the little LDL and HDL go winging through your system and they go winging through your capillaries. And there's enzymes on the wall of your capillaries that sends off signals that grab onto what they need and pull it off the LDL or pull it off the HDL. Isn't it neat? Then they yeah, whatever they need. You mean to tell me that LDL is just not bad and HDL is good, right? It's That's it's a little true. bit it's a little bit more complex than that, guys, right? We, just a little <laughs> bit. Just a little bit. And keep in mind that your brain is a decent portion of cholesterol too. Right. And all your hormones are made from LDL. <laughs> And of course, what does that matter, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the whole concept of of LDL being bad for you, like I said, was based on the Framingham Heart Study mm-hmm. on cherry picked data, mm-hmm. and it's it's very very bad science. Uh, so when they when they uncherry picked the data, there was no correlation at all between LDL and HDL, except in the, you know, you got to your extremes. We're not talking about the extreme side of things, but just the normal run of the mill, mm-hmm. Joe and Mary out there. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter. And in fact, according to the literature, you should be between 110 and 175 for your LDL. You should be, be less than 110 for your triglycerides and your HDL should be above 50, but less than 150. That's really where you should be. And you mentioned, I believe, in, in your manifesto, something about uh, HDL ma- uh, matching vitamin D. Yeah, that people always wonder how much is enough and what should I do. And people get nerved up for under- understand. Mm-hmm. You say your LDL and HD, your your HDL and D are pretty close in terms of the number. Mm-hmm. That's you're 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 in good. State. You're in the right neighborhood. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You, you, you run into so many people and like I was, I was kind of nerved up and you, you, you kind of, re, you got to make sure you relax and just, just look at the nominals because it's going to take you a while to get out of this, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I think there's this sort of, I've been diagnosed, dismissed, and now I'm just left to die kind of mentality and people, what I, why I really want to have this conversation is because you just kind of grab the bull by the horns and attack this, which is great. Can we touch on dental health? Because this is one thing where I was, I'm kind of revisiting my own dental health as a result of some of our conversations, things that I've heard from you. Mm -hmm. The role it plays in cardiovascular disease. Okay. A couple of things on dental health. As you've probably seen, I haven't 
brushed my teeth in 10 years. <laughs> okay. And uh, there's, pr- there's people here that are listening that are like, wow, okay, you must have bad breath, but uh, take us through how you don't have halitosis. Well, it's basically because I have my vitamin D right, my vitamin K right, mm-hmm. my vitamin C right. And there's increasing literature to indicate that when you get those three right, your mouth bacteria become very, very proactive for you and uh, cardioprotective, if you want to use that phrase. Mm-hmm. And when you brush your teeth, you typically cause your gums to bleed. Mm-hmm. And that gives, you, gives the bacteria an avenue to get into your system. Ah. And then those bacteria that get into your system tend to attack your arteries, mm-hmm. which is not good. Uh, so if people want to read a lot about tooth health and, and that's, it, it's, it's kind of new, new research is coming out all the time on it. A lot more than heart, heart stuff. Mm-hmm. You would go to the Weston Price foundation mm-hmm. and they, and they uh, talk about it in there. Uh, my own dentist, she, she was completely blown away. She said to me, this was, she had never met me before. I went in there because a crown had popped off or a cap, uh, one of my fillings came up. Mm-hmm. So she put a crown in and she says, I've never met you before. You're a great guy, you know, blah, blah, blah. But wow, you really take dental health seriously. I said, well, yeah. <laughs> and she says, I can't believe you even floss in between your teeth. I said, well, I guess. <laughs> Funny you mentioned that. <laughs> yeah, so I finally told her. What was her reaction? I'm kind of curious. Her jaw was on the ground. Yeah. And what was really cool, she used to be a professional bodybuilder Mm -hmm. or body sculptor. So she she knew all about health. And she she says, you know, I heard about this in my workout days and I never believed it. She says, my God, this is true. I said, yes, it is. She went, cool. And uh, so, you know, hell, I haven't had a cavity in I don't know how many years. 12, 14 years, something like that. Mm-hmm. I just, and the older you get, the less dentin you make, unless you keep your K, D, and mag up and C. And once you do that, your dentin comes back. My tooth health is phenomenal. So, but yeah, so that's really what, what goes on. And if you eat a lot of junk food, you have the wrong bacteria growing in your mouth. Mm-hmm. When you got the wrong bacteria growing in your mouth and you brush your teeth, the wrong bacteria get in your bloodstream and has a high probability of uh, causing a speed bump. So let's, um, I want to unpack some of these, these vitamins that you recommend, uh, or sorry, let me retract that not recommend, but have mentioned, um, Mm -hmm. the role of in particular, ADE, magnesium, CoQ10, we can throw Mm -hmm. in C there because you've mentioned it a couple of times. Mm Mm-hmm. I would love to hear both the role of these and how I know you're an advocate as am I of testing um, mm-hmm. and how you test these to make sure that you are optimized. Right. Okay. Well, I will give you how all this stuff fits together. Yeah. So everybody, so, so the folks who are watching this, just relax. If you have to redo it again, do it again. Okay. It's kind of, it's complicated, but, and it's, okay, let's say you have a speed bump. And I'm not, we're not, we could spend a whole hour of how the speed bumps happen, but let's say you got a speed bump and you want to fix it. Okay. On top of your macrophages and foam cells, this is the surface chemistry thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Think about it as so chrome on your bumper. 
you have some chemicals called ABCA-1 and ABCG-1. Mm-hmm. You know, so what? Well, when your macrophages don't leave after they gobbled up that bacteria, they send out signals that say, hey, I shouldn't be here. Would you do something? And the body kind of panics. This is the famous term called inflammation. <laughs> so the, the stuff gets sent out, these signals, like tumor necrosis factor alpha, interleukin-6, and all the other interleukins. Again, it's the fire alarm. Mm-hmm. So, Okay. Now, on top of these bad-acting cells that shouldn't be there, by the way, the macrophages do leave if they're doing the job correctly. Mm-hmm. So this macrophage doesn't want to leave, and so he's being a bad actor. So if you have proper levels of free T3, that's a form of thyroid. Mm-hmm. And if you got free T3 winging around your system, it activates the ABCs sitting on top of the, say, just say the macrophage. Mm-hmm. Well, when you activate them, the D zinging around on its carrier protein, kind of like riding his Harley, shows up on the activation site of the ABCs. Mm-hmm. When vitamin D shows up, it's called up your upregulating. Mm-hmm. There's something else that's on the surface of that cell called basically, you'll love this phrase, uncarboxylated matrix GLA proteins. Now, boy, does that sound cool. It's a mouthful. Oh, my God. Tell me about it. So D upregulates or makes them go, woohoo, we're here. Hey, look at me. And uh, now that's going on. Well, when that goes on, that sends some signals to what's called beta HDL. Now, beta HDL is just kind of winging around in your vessels and arteries and all that stuff and doing this thing. Beta HDL says, oh, my God, I got to go there and get that bad boy. So beta HDL goes winging in there, assuming it's, being, assuming it's carrying the correct stuff. Okay, remember, it's a surface chemistry thing. Mm-hmm. HDL's got some to it. So... HDL shows up with this MK7 attached to it and CoQ10 attached to it and vitamin E attached to it and micro RNA attached to it. Mm-hmm. So it shows up and the CoQ10 along with the MK7 allow the beta HDL to grab onto that bad boy. Mm-hmm. Just sink its teeth right into it. You kind of look at it like uh, the body's version of a mosquito. Mm-hmm. When the beta HDL hooks onto that stuff, it and the let's say the macrophage has got some fat in it, some LDL, morph into a foam cell. Then it literally starts sucking the stuff out. It literally sucks sucks it out. Mm-hmm. It's called reverse cholesterol transport. This isn't something I'm coming up with. This this is what the facts are. Mm-hmm. So you kind of go, cool. That, that's kind of neat. And when, when the beta HDL gets full, kind of like, what was that thing? Uh, I want you in my belly. <laughs> <laughs> AP, it sends out a signal to another chemical called APOA, APOA1 mm-hmm. to come in and hook into it. And that transforms it into HDL, 
which in turn leaves the artery, goes back to the liver for reprocessing. Mm-hmm. And it keeps the, the, the mosquitoes keep coming in there to get that foam cell all sucked out, macrophage killed and all that stuff. And so it appears that the micro RNA gets injected into the macrophage or foam cell to kill it. And if that doesn't kill it, we've got a backup system. The body's got all sorts of backup systems. Mm-hmm. So you've got this rocking and rolling going on. All these signals are being sent out. In comes the LDL. And you go, what's the LDL doing there? Well, the LDL is carrying something called K1. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, what does the K1 do? Well, if you have sufficient vitamin C and it's properly coated on your LDL, it hooks up to the macrophage or foam cell and kills it, apparently. It's, it's, it's called autoschisms. It's, a, it's, a, it's something that they've discovered in 1999. And that your body has a backup system to kill those little bad boys. This is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So now, now you got all that going on. Now, in the meantime, those macrophages and foam cells have caused your vascular smooth muscle cells to start growing uncontrollably. Mm-hmm. And as they're growing and dividing and dying, they're leaving a trace of calcium without getting into all that biochemistry. Well, when you have all this MK7 floating around and these carboxylated matrix GLA proteins being carboxylated by the MK7, that sends out a signal to the FETO1A that, hey, we got something here for you to nibble on. So FETO1A comes rushing in and it kind of looks around for the calcium. And if you have sufficient magnesium, much like if you take a lot of magnesium for kidney stones and kidney stones dissolve, mm-hmm. the calcium is kind of loosened up out of the matrix. The, the FETO and A goes in there, grabs onto the calcium, exits through the uh, epithelial layer, and goes either to be, takes the calcium to bone or to the liver for reprocessing. Mm-hmm. And that's how this stuff works. And that's how all of this stuff kind of sort of works together. All right, let's interrupt this podcast. And this is something that Patrick didn't ask me to do, but I'm going to do it anyway. Because sourcing vitamin K in high doses is a pain in the ass. I have gone through bottles and bottles and bottles and bottles and paid countless taxes to import vitamin K in smaller doses. But Patrick makes high-dose vitamin K and produces it uh, at a very very reasonable cost. If you go to his website, k-vitamins.com, you can check out Concentrated K, which is spelled with a K, and pick some up for yourself. Again, Patrick's giving me no compensation for this. He did not ask for this, but I'm giving it to you because I think it's important that if you want to source high-dose vitamin K, you know where to get it. It's at concentratedk.com or kvitamins.com. We'll link to all of this in the show notes. But enjoy the rest of my conversation with Patrick Toy. It's incredible. It's incredible. And I love how you've taken what, and I've done a lot of diving into the chemistry behind this too, but you've taken it and you made it into a very simple story for people to understand. So thank you. The question on everybody's mind, and look, I don't like the idea of protocols here because we're all individual, but how do you... You have to optimize each of these levels, right? Um, yes. You do, I, I know you do quite a bit of testing. What yeah. tests are you running? Um, and how do you do this in sort of a cost-effective manner, right? Because that could be 
challenging for certain people? Well, you bring up a, that's a very, in fact, I just talked to a guy about that two days ago. Uh, limited income, doesn't know what to do, doesn't want to die, can't afford testing. And so uh, it's like I said to him, look, if you're going to mess with your thyroid, you should at least get that tested. Mm-hmm. Everything else you can pretty much skate by with. But I'm not going to, I don't recommend that because I'm, a, I'm an engineer. I love to test everything under the sun. Me too. And, every, and to your point, everybody's body is way freaking different. But if you, I, I, okay, it's, it's pretty simple. If you're living in Minneapolis, Minnesota, I would take 10,000 IUs of vitamin D a day. Mm-hmm. I take one of those concentrated Ks, five grams of magnesium malate, six grams of vitamin C, 100 micrograms of selenium. And you go, why selenium? Well, selenium converts free T4 to free T3. And since most people are selenium deficient in this country, you take selenium. Mm-hmm. And uh, w- one grain of armor thyroid, that should be safe. And 200 milligrams of ubiquinol and be on a keto diet. And make sure you understand your APOE status. Mm-hmm. And I would say that that'll give you a fighting chance to get through this. So there's a lot to unpack there, but if you were to have the money to test, uh, you know, some of the tests that I've found to be effective are like Genova's NutriQL um, mm-hmm. tests a lot of these micronutrients that you talk about. Right. How do you look at testing these? Do you just go to go to Lab Corp Request Diagnostics and say like, "Hey, give them to me," or uh, basically, uh, the story on that goes back to 2003 and it, this is kind of, it, it could be considered a negative story, but I, I, I did my first vitamin D test by ordering it online in January, February, 2003. Mm-hmm. And I've been ordering it online ever since mm-hmm. I go through, uh, directlabs.com. I'll go through left extensions. I'll go through private MD lab, whatever the best deal is. And back in the day, I would test myself four times a year back when it was cost effective. Mm-hmm. Now, even for me, it's not cost effective. So plus I've dialed my body. And so I do it once a year. Mm-hmm. My record is 63 tubes pulled out of me. Wow. I was rather curious that day. Wow. <laughs> that's, um, but, that's actually, but, yeah, I'm trying to think of my record and I'm not even close to 63 tubes. Yeah, so in two or three weeks, I'm going to be going to a draw site and I'll have 32 tubes pulled. Okay. That's what I normally do once a year. And it's a may have, way of me just making sure that I've got her between the ditches, as they say. Mm-hmm. And uh, because I am getting older and I got it, you know, I'm, I'm you know, paying attention. So, but yeah, it, it's, the cost is just staggering. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, if I would recommend just test that for starters, in my case, I do a lot of B vitamin testing because I found with my, when I did 23andMe back when 23andMe was allowed to tell you your genetic code, mm-hmm. uh, I found that I had some pretty severe vitamin D, vitamin B processing issues, mm-hmm. which explained a few things. So I had to take vitamin B supplements okay. that I never thought I needed. So from that standpoint, it's really good to know that stuff genetically. So you go get your genes tested and you can go to some free sites and they will, you know, you give them a $20 donation. They'll tell you what's right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And that'll at least give you a place to start from. Yeah. 
But to your point, somebody leaves the doctor's office with a with a diagnosis of of, of calcification of the heart. Okay, now what do I do? Yeah, where do I go? Where do I where do I? I want to own my problem because it's me. What do I do and how do I do it? What's my first step and make it a positive step rather than wandering through the wilderness? Yeah, but yeah, I would I would say do that first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, red blood cell, magnesium is a good test. Vitamin D is a good test. Selenium is a good test. Uh, Regular vitamin C is a good test. Free T3 is a good one. Ubiquinol. The CoQ10 is, would be the ubiquinol test. Here's something interesting about ubiquinol. The older you get, the less ubiquinol you make. It's like the less vitamin D you make. Mm-hmm. A 70-year-old makes the same amount, makes 10% of the vitamin D they made as a 17-year-old. That's why people up north live down south. <laughs> it's true. That's that's why people like to go to south of France for their son mm-hmm. and all that. It, because the vitamin D just just gives them a rush. Uh, I, I know personally living, I lived in Singapore for six years and never had issues with the sun. And then moving to Amsterdam, that first winter hit me like a, mm-hmm. a punch in the face. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think now we're structuring a little bit better so that we spend a lot more time down south. Uh, during the mm-hmm. winters, but let's, I, I want to transition a little bit into the diet and why is keto so important here? Because it, look, I, I, I personally love a Mediterranean keto diet. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to talk a little bit about the APOE status because there are some listeners here that have an well, frankly, 25% of the world has an APOE4 variant, right? And we want to just lay out both options for people. Okay. Uh, the thing about the keto diet, Dr. Timothy Noakes probably has the best YouTube videos on the keto diet and why it's so important. Mm-hmm. Now, who's Dr. Tim Noakes? Well, he wrote the book, The Lore of Running. It's like an 800-page tome on the physiology of distance athlete training. And I remember reading his book in December of 2002. And this is so cute. I got to the part on carbs, and I was looking at it, and I'm going, well, you got everything else right but this. So, you know, (laughs) four years, five years later, he goes, oh, by the way, when you read that book, tear the chapter out on carbs. That's absolutely (laughs) wrong. So here you have a man, and and this guy, I call him a rock star. Mm-hmm. In, in my world of coaching, he's considered God's other brother. He's really good. So for giggles, he would run 50-mile races. I don't go, my God, I won't pedal a bike that far. Yeah. Holy cow, what a stud. And then he turns out to be a type 2 diabetic. He went, what the hell happened? This was in 2004, 2005. Then he realized he got lied to. Yeah. He was told carbs are good for you. Well, he decided being he's an MD and a PhD physiologist, he started researching what the hell the body's really designed. And basically, our body is designed to run on fat. Mm -hmm. It's not designed to run on cheap carbs. It's not designed to run on a whole dose of protein. And if you're going to have carbs, make sure they're complex carbs like raspberries, blueberries, green peppers, onions, stuff like that. Mm something that takes a while to get into your system. And then he researched about how often should you eat? And he found that 
If you eat once a day, that's what the body's designed to do. And that fits with what I learned in my, my knowledge of that 250 ton a day intestine, that you, you have to let this laminar flow of food go through your system so the bacteria can double and double, it's called doubling rate of bacteria. Mm -hmm. So your bacteria will grow properly based on the needs of your body, but it needs time to do it. So if you're constantly putting food in your gullet, you're pushing that bolus through and not giving your bacteria time to liberate what it needs to liberate. It's constantly getting confused. It's like uh, if you've ever had a two-year-old and you wake them up in the middle of the night, you know, well, you'll never do that again. Well, that's what happens to your gut bacteria. So you just, you, you just give it time to do its thing and you're all set. It, it takes about six weeks to get used to doing that, but it's, it's really, you're, you're, it's just, it's just beautiful so, how to operate. Patrick, I, I do have a question about OMAD because uh, we've had John Jayquish on the show before and he's, he's an expert in exercise physiology as well. He also has brought up OMAD. There's a lot of people listening to this right now that are like one meal a day. You have got to be kidding me. Mm -hmm. Talk me through how you get enough protein. Like I, I would maybe even, cause I'm still an athlete, you know, mm -hmm. getting enough protein one meal a day. Can your body process a hundred plus grams of protein in one meal? Oh yeah. Not a problem. Well, I guess I'll tell you what you want. Fair enough. So I'll, I'll give you an idea. You're living in Amsterdam. Yep. So you have a lot of uh, uh, mom and pop meat markets that you can find, yep. right? And you've seen the, the big sausages hanging there? Yeah. The cute, oh, by the way, they're loaded with K, by the way. Really? Yeah. I, yes. I always avoided those because, you know, you're just sitting there and you're like, okay, it's a long, long sausage yeah. and it can't be good for you, but... Yes, that's research from uh, Sarah Booth and her team at Tufts University. Okay. It's loaded with K. I've tried to get Sarah before on the show. Um, yeah, she's a great lady. She's really cool. And uh, so anyway, I'll, I'll sit there and, and being in Wisconsin and Upper Michigan, we got a lot of those meat markets mm -hmm. too because we're kind of like the old country around here. So I'll just sit there and eat a quarter of a pound of that. Mm -hmm. I'll just, with a, with a brick of, of uh, pepper jack cheese and wash down with a little bit of water, color good. That's you're fine. And I'm an athlete too. I'm a master's track. Yeah. Athlete, so. uh, that's why yeah. I wanted to ask you the question because it, it's come up multiple times now. And mm -hmm. as a person who is training for a marathon, but also has done powerlifting in the past, it's a little bit against the grain part of the pun there, but mm -hmm. uh, you know, it sounds like a good experiment. Well, frankly, it sounds like what I need to be doing. Well, I can tell you, this is, this is factual. Uh, Jeremy Scott, who was on the 2012 U.S. Olympic team, mm -hmm. went to London, pole vaulter. I was his speed and nutrition coach. And Jeremy is now in his third year of medical school. And Jeremy came to me one day and he said, oh, my God. I said, what, Jeremy? My wife has got celiacs. Okay. It sucks to be her, but okay. I have to be on a, a keto diet. I said, Jeremy, what's your problem? Oh my God, I'll never be able to train. I'm doomed. You know, the old FedEx commercial. I'm doomed. I'm mm -hmm. doomed. Jeremy, it's the best thing that could ever happen to you. <laughs> so <laughs> I told him how to get to that point after six weeks. And off he, he goes to London. He's on the Olympic team. Mm -hmm. Once a day, about 3,000 to 6,000 calories, all one meal. Wow. 
And that's it. That's all he did. And he supported his wife. She's a sweetie, by the way. And uh, uh, he's never looked back. He says, it's the damnedest thing I've ever seen. He says, my clarity of thought is beautiful. Yeah. I have energy till hell won't have it. And when he went to London, he was the fastest pole vaulter there. I think when he would come in and plant, he was running at 25 miles an hour. Wow. Wow. Yeah, he was flying. For a guy six foot 10, not bad. That's crazy. Uh, so when you do your one meal a day, and I know we're going off into the weeds here, but are oh, you, all, no, are you doing... Are you doing it at night? Are you doing it at midday? Does it matter? It, in my opinion, it doesn't really matter. Okay. But I like to do my, I like to eat my food after I'm done with my workout, yeah. which is typically between four and six at night. Mm-hmm. So I'll eat my meal, which takes about a half hour, 45 minutes. And then I'm done by seven o'clock. And uh, if I did a real hard workout that day to help stimulate my insulin response, I'll sometimes take a teaspoon, a teaspoon, mind you, of just table sugar mm-hmm. to get my insulin really rolling so I can have good repair. Because mm-hmm. being an athlete, it's all about recovery, not about doing the workout. So, so you, want, you want your body dialed into, hey, let's get this fixed really quick. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll take my citrulline and lysine. I do that for antioxidant stuff, but my lysine is also antiviral. Okay. And so it's, again, one of those things I don't have access to eating six to 10 eggs a day. So I'll just take some lysine and call it good. So one of you said citrulline and lysine and uh, one that of the amino acids that's come up quite a bit that I think you're not as big of a fan of is L-arginine. Right. Is that body's not designed to process your body. Okay. The L-arginine thing. And beta carotene and vitamin A and citrulline all go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. You don't want to take vitamin A unless you have a genetic predisposition of processing beta carotene into A. In that case, you got to do it. Mm-hmm. So get your genes checked. If your genes are okay, don't take A. Take beta carotene because the body will take the beta carotene and make it into the A that you need in, in what appears to be a ratio between the D and the K that you're already taking. Mm-hmm. So there seems to be some sort of synergy there. I don't understand it, but it looks like it's doing that. So monitor your beta carotene levels if you got the money to do it. Mm-hmm. Now, arginine is a damn good antioxidant. No doubt about that. I'm not going to debate that one iota. But your body will make the arginine it requires based on the Peroxide, well, I'll just simply say the inflammation alarms that it has. Mm-hmm. Out of the citrulline that you have in your diet or on your system. Okay. If you give it arginine, it's like giving your body calcium. The body kind of goes, What am I going to do with this? Uh, I have no idea what I got to do with this. Mm-hmm. So then you get things kind of kind of confused. Mm-hmm. When you give it citrulline, it says, Hey, I got this covered. So that that's why. Okay, perfect. Let's go back to keto and APOE status. So yes. keto makes sense to me in many different ways for a person with cardiovascular disease. Mm-hmm. If you're an APOE4 variant, which is a quarter of the people probably listening to this, yep. do you just jack your monounsaturated fats and go that way? Or is there a, a different approach? Okay, well, uh, when you ask... Most people, uh, what does APOE do to you? 
or what does it change? You see, I'm an engineer. I like to ask, what changed? Mm-hmm. And they, everybody goes, well, I don't know. Well, okay, well, let's figure out what changed before we go after it. You know? Yeah. Uh, in the case of AP, the APOE4 variant, it has to do with the processing time of your LDL, HDL, and VLD. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? Well, your liver is constantly kicking out LDL and HDL and VLDL. And it typically lasts about three days. It goes winging around your system for about three days, and then it goes back to the liver. Well, why does it do that? Well, after three days of kind of winging around, it's dumped off all its fat-soluble vitamins and the chrome's off the bumper. Mm -hmm. And the body's going, hey, come on, guys. Let's get you recharged here. So they take it back to the liver, gobbles it back up, makes new LDL and HDL, sends it off properly packed with all the stuff around it. In the case of the APOE4 variant, instead of doing that in three days, it does it five to seven days or nine days or something like that. It's a long time. Henceforth, you've got a lot of stuff winging around your system that's naked. And that's where you hear the phrase, oh, the LDL is oxidized. Yeah. Well, if you take your chrome off your bumper, your bumper's going to rust. It's supposed to. So how do you combat that? Well, generally speaking, you had your APOE4 variant when you were a teenager and you didn't have heart disease. So you got to ask yourself, what changed? And, And again, what changed? And why did it change? How did it change? Yada, yada, yada. So the AP, what there's two schools of thought on how to attack this problem. One is to really load up on your fat soluble vitamins, mm-hmm. load up on your ubiquinol, load up on your co- uh, your uh, K, load up on your D, not your D, but your uh, your K and your uh, CoQ10 and uh, kind of go from there. Because then you've saturated your system with it. Mm-hmm. That's school of thought. The other school of thought is to create a condition in your body in which it's like being an APOE3, in which you have a rational amount of LDL and HDL. And how do you do that? Now you may say, gee, Pat, you're saying a dirty word here. Statins come into play here. They really do. Okay. So you drive down your LDL. You drive down your, you drive up your HDL, and the HDL goes up in response to the LDL going down because the body's trying to save itself. That's all another story. Take your ubiquinol or CoQ10 because when you drive your LDL down, your CoQ10 goes down, so you got to fix that. And then you also got to be cognizant of your selenium levels too, and a few, a couple other things that statins do that aren't good for you, but. You're trying to save your life. So let's 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 try to knock this off. Mm-hmm. So get your LDL down to a rational level, code it correctly, and call it good. Those are the those you either really coat the devil out of what you got or drive down your LDL and coat what you got, one or the other. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to go about this because it has to do with processing time of your uh, LDL and HDL. Now, it's really interesting, as you've probably seen or probably seen in the literature, if you're APOE4 or 344424, you tend to get Alzheimer's. You've probably seen that. Yeah. 
that's not really all that exciting. Um, it's interesting. I talked to the lady who did the research in Canada for the Canadian government about vitamin K, and they found this by accident that K1 makes a big difference in getting Alzheimer's. And they couldn't believe it. And so they came up with the whole biochemical pathway of how K1 makes a difference. Mm -hmm. And I looked at her research. The Canadian government wasn't too pleased because they were expecting her to come up with some high-priced chemical. And she in turn said, just eat your broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> and she's got this great French-Canadian accent. Just, just eat your broccoli. Mm -hmm. Just don't about it. And anyway, uh, the issue you have there uh, is that if you drive down your L the APOE, you have naked LDL floating around without your K1 attached to it. So eventually, you run out of LDL or run out of vitamin K1. Mm -hmm. When you that's when the bad stuff starts to happen. So if you keep your K1 levels up, you should be okay. The objective evidence to support that is of all the people who are, according to literature, who are APOE, have the four variant, 10% don't get Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. As an engineer, you kind of go, okay, what's different? Yeah, where are they? What are they doing? Exactly. Same with people who are have the other variants of the APOE, they get Alzheimer's. What are they doing? And, and this is where Professor Furland and her group came up with what's different which is a great way of looking at things, which is the, how engineers do what engineers do. So, but yeah, that's, that's what's going on there. All right. Let's, let's talk about K because uh, it's a, look, as, as a vitamin, it gets, it has almost no sex appeal, right? Uh, in terms of the broader universe of, you hear about vitamin D a lot, you hear about, even in some cases, vitamin A or vitamin C gets a lot of notoriety because people throw it in drinks, but vitamin K gets no love, but That's it true. deserves quite a bit more because it's, it's extremely hard to get. Um, can we talk about the many different forms of vitamin K? Because I'm trying to keep them all straight. There's 14 different forms. Mm -hmm. You only have to know about basically the uh, lexicon or the narrative associated with two forms. It's the phylloquinone, which is K1, mm -hmm. broccoli. And then you have menaquinones, and there's about 13 of them. Uh, the best way to think about menaquinones is either sausage or sauerkraut. Okay. Brats and sauerkraut. Great for you. It's a great <laughs> thing that, I mean, should I just move to Wisconsin right now? It's just like, or Germany. I can, I can move yeah. down to Germany too. Yeah. Brats and sauerkraut. It's great for Perfect. You. And, and back in the day, when they made sour, when they made sausage correctly, they would take the thyroid out of the pig and use the thyroid in the sausage, and that's where you got your free food. Kind of I'm gonna have to go <laughs> check to see if there's anybody making sausage correctly uh, near me. So I'll let you know. I'll report back. Okay. But yeah, there's there's basically 14 forms. Uh, the, the you got the K1, and then you've got your menaquinones, and the best way to look at it is just what foods are found in. Now, the Dutch find it in hard cheeses for your menaquinones. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, K1s and broccoli, kale, uh, collards, things like that. 
but you, but again, like anything else, you got to eat enough of it in order to make a difference. Yeah. And in the world of organic chemistry and biochemistry, you have to take enough of something in order to make the reaction work. Mm-hmm. They don't quite tell people that. So <laughs> you, somebody, you, you mean to tell me that my RDAs are not the number I should be focusing on, right? Not even close. <laughs> not even close. Yeah. Not even close. That's why you mentioned in one of your questions about the 300 micrograms of MK7. Yeah. So the amenoquinones or MKs are numbered one through 13, and it has to do with uh, the double bonds on this little tail. It kind of looks like a polywog. Well, you got different lengths of the polywog tail. Well, amenoquinone sevens appear to be the most uh, desired by the body, but the other ones have, have roles to play too. The amenoquinone fours are used in uh, uh, osteoporosis as an example. Mm-hmm. So you have uh, the K's and I don't know how to quite put this. Uh, If the K's are involved in a lot of things, let's start there. Mm -hmm. If we just talked K1, your body will take K1. And if you magically removed all the K out of your body, when you ask a doctor, what will happen? They will say, you'll be bleed out. Everybody will say that. You'll bleed out. You won't. You will clot up. The first thing K1 does, it keeps you from clotting. Isn't that cool? Isn't, uh, so vitamin D- K was discovered in Germany, right? And K yeah. is coagulation, I'm guessing. Coagulation. Yeah. That's where okay. the K comes from. Yeah. The German word for coagulation. And so it, the more you drill down in this, you go, Far out. This is really cool. Mm-hmm. So then you take enough more, then you take more K1, and then the body goes, okay, now we're going to balance all this. So we're not going to overclot you, we're not going to underclot you. And then when we're done with that, whatever's left over, we'll hook it onto the LDL and HDL and send it off to other parts of the body that really need mm-hmm. it, like you're coating your uh, nerves. Okay. Well, what happens if you don't have K1 in your diet? Yeah. Well, what they found is you need a minimum of about 300 micrograms of MK7 to do the same job. You say, wait a minute, Pat, you're saying, well, K1 did that job. Well, the body's got all these various fallback pathways to take K7 and do the same thing as K1 mm-hmm. did. Oh, okay. Now, here's the thing. If you take enough K1 and you take sufficient seven, let's say 500 micrograms. The body goes, okay, we're happy. K1's doing its thing. We're going to hook it onto these LDL particles, send it out there. Wow, we got a lot of MK7 here. Hey, we got some LDL to hook it to. We'll hook it all to this, send them out there. Okay, we're happy now. That's how the body works. It's 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 kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And then you go, hey, I got some MK4 here. Oh, yeah, yeah. The bone's calling for some stuff, so we're going to send it that way. So that's how that's how the liver becomes the arbiter of which K gets sent where. And if you saturate your system with K, your clotting will only go to a certain level and absolutely stop. You can't overclot your blood. Can't do it. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're taking Coumadin or Warfarin, don't take uh, a concentrated form of K. That's bad for mm-hmm. you. Uh, but much other than that, in fact, that's why they developed uh, the uh, dabigatrins. Mm-hmm. The dabagatrins were developed. Do you know why? No. Oh, you'll love this. 
they give people Coumadin who have atrial fibrillation. Of course, you got to ask, why do you get AFib for starters? If you were born that way, that's one thing. But if it comes about, what, what changed? Yeah. But be that as it may, so they keep people on, on warfarin. Well, people die of hardening of the arteries when they're on warfarin. <laughs> and they get Alzheimer's. Yeah, it, <laughs> Pretty cool. this is the issue with looking at everything as sort of a reductionist problem, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Exactly, man. Mm-hmm. So this is this is this is what's really going on. It's 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 kind of freaky stuff, really. Mm-hmm. But once you understand how all the dots connect, it goes, oh, that's pretty obvious. Okay, I get it. So just to recap here, the the ideal or minimal amount of K1 we're talking about is how much? I, I guess, can't, I, with throwing aside that, you should probably lab test yourself and you should figure out your own levels. But it is, For just K1, just K1 alone, somewhere between one and five milligrams a day. So one and five milligrams and then K2... Um, well, K2 is a catch-all phrase, so yeah. let's just say MK7. Let's just, um, f- according to the top research people in the world who I've talked to and, you know, we're pretty good friends, half a milligram or half a, half a milligram, yeah, 500 micrograms. Okay. Okay. And uh, MK4, the research out of Japan is between 25 and 50 milligrams for osteoporosis. And then what your body does when you when you give the liver that much K and you give your gut bacteria that much K, it, when it gets signaled to make other forms of K like MK9 and MK13 and MK6, it'll just go make it from there. It's easy. So you give it what you need. It's called a precursor chemical in that case. I love it. I love it. Can we talk about concentrated K just a second? Because um, sure. in the formulation, you included astaxanthin. Right. I have to ask. The all, all everything else is K. What what about astaxanthin is significant? The, the astaxanthin part uh, had to do with when I was doing a. Well, my friend said we all want we all want an antioxidant, mm-hmm. but we don't want to take much of it. But we want one pill to be an antioxidant. And I said, well, okay. So we decided to uh, just put astaxanthin into the thing as a really a high-powered antioxidant, mm-hmm. and it's a micro encapsulated antioxidant. So that means it's bioavailable. Mm-hmm. So people say, well, I take astaxanthin in the powder form. Well, most of it don't get through your stomach. It's destroyed. So, you know, remember I'm a geek, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going <laughs> to take this stuff, I want it to work. Yeah. So. I love the diligence. Before we go into the final questions, Patrick, I, I have to ask just for the audience here, Take us through the journey, how it's been, and maybe put some numbers around, you know, how you've been able to reverse heart disease. I know you've done a lot of uh, calcium score testing, for instance. Oh, yeah. I've, uh, well, oh, God. When I first started this journey back in 2002, my calcium score was three. Let's see, I got it right here. 337 all on my left main. And in three years, I had it to zero. And that was before I really understood what K did for me. But I, had, I was on a high sauerkraut, high sausage, 
high kale, high broccoli diet. And it was keto, a lot of fat. Then, and now by, you know, by 20, 2005, I was basically fine. I was a happy camper. And then this may sound terrible. And I, people have taken this out of context and I don't want it to, but I got a vaccination. And boy, did that screw up my world. Well, what it did was apparently it killed off the bacteria that I had that made my K from the food I was eating. Mm-hmm. And I later found that out a couple of years. Well, I found that out in 2008 by accident. Now we'll get into that. And then my calcium score shot up and it kept shooting up and shooting up and shooting up and shooting up. And then by basically 2011, 2012, it was somewhere around what 1200. Uh, and I couldn't slow it down. And, uh, I pretty much, this was July of 2010 and I pretty much, and I'll be very blunt. I, after all the stuff that I'd gone through and after all the hell that I had to go through, I finally really was to the point in which I damn near gave up. Mm. I'm not kidding. I'm not, not to be maudlin or anything like that. I damn, I'll be honest. I, I, I damn near gave up. So I locked myself up in my house in Manistique and, uh, I basically said, I obviously overlooked something. I assumed I was wrong. I missed something. And uh, it's kind of like watching the game tapes after you've been scored on. What did I do wrong? What didn't I see? Mm -hmm. So uh, I spent about 120 hours of reading over the span of about nine days or more. Got about three hours of sleep each day. And then I happened to like about Thursday. I ran into an obscure article by Dr. McCullough, who's really good dude. Mm -hmm. He's pretty. And it said, vitamin K1 has something to do with heart disease. And and my first reaction was, now remember now, at this point, I didn't know about K. I truly didn't. Mm -hmm. I was completely clueless. And I went, potassium? What does this have to do with anything? Mm -hmm. Potassium? Really? And then, Philo, what? Oh, my God, what's this? I, I was truly flummoxed. So I started reading about K. Mm-hmm. I went, oh, my God. Oh my. And then it hit me. I had been doctoring a little bit with Dr. Bill Davis of Wheat Belly fame. Mm-hmm. And Bill Davis is great. He's a retired MD holistic cardiologist. Great guy. His books are fantastic. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I remembered a comment at that point that Bill told me about his mother, who is Japanese, and, and he said, yeah, the Japanese eat this stuff called natto, and it's got this stuff called K in it. And, I'm going, and it, just, it just went over my head. I didn't understand what he was talking about. And he said, yeah, you might want to look at it. You know, thinking, he just it was an offhand comment. I'm going, oh, my God. So I started reading and reading and reading and reading. I'm going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then I said, did I ever get blood work for K1? Well, I had a personal care physician that I discovered by accident in Traverse City, Michigan at a dinner party, and she's a holistic MD in Traverse City. So her and I worked together a little bit with blood work and, you know, kicking things around and all that stuff. And uh, her, along with Dr. Davis, Dr. Roth was her name, and she's still live and kicking, doing her thing. Uh, they were my coaches. They were my buddies. They were my partners in crime mm-hmm. to solve this problem. They weren't just the sage on the stage. Yeah. So I find this thing that, it, oh my God, K1, she tested for it. Holy, it's terrible. Whoa. <laughs> I go, oh my God. 
<laughs> so I went, now it was off to the races. Mm-hmm. So now I had to find vitamin K. Mm-hmm. And then the journey began. And I got some off a website that had five milligrams. Oh, no, I first went to my cousin who was a veterinarian. And I said, hey, would you give me some K? And she said, I can't give you K. It's for dogs that eat rat poison. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, how, do, how does dog style K taste? Uh, she wouldn't give yeah. me any. But uh, I said, look it. I got a dog. She says, no, you don't. I says, yeah, I do. It's my invisible dog. Remember the invisible rabbit? I got an invisible dog. So I found some on the web, five milligrams. So I started taking that. And then I needed MK7 and MK4. Now I had to go find that. So where do you find that? At levels that you need yeah. because I scaled up. That, that's a problem, right? Is that because yeah. yeah. I'm looking at the bottles that I see over here right now, and you're looking at single capsules with 90 milligrams or micrograms, sorry. Right. right. Well, that's, I had the same problems. But if you scaled up all the research by Schubers and Vermeers and Sato and Suddies and, and Booth and everybody else, and I said, you need a lot of this stuff. Woohoo. So where do I go? I go to what's called Supply Side West. It was a big vitamin show mm-hmm. in Las Vegas. Of, all of course. Oh, vitamins in Las Vegas is like, a, I don't know, a, a chest freezer show in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> or, you know, I don't know what I would put it. Mm-hmm. So I go there, kind of like the old Cheech and Chong movie up in smoke and going around, hey, man, I'm trying to score some K. You got a key around? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I'm going around trying to score some K. So I eventually find some people that are willing to sell me this stuff. And so they ship it to me. And uh, then I buy a little pill making machine. So I'm here at my kitchen table looking, looking like something out of a very bad drug movie. Making me it's like, like oh breaking God. bad. Exactly. In fact, it was sans the Winnebago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so So the first thing that I did was if this stuff really does work, I decided I had some, I had saved some uh, statin and I knew how to get my LDL down to 60 and I drove my LDL down to 60. And if I take all this K, it should drive my LDL up to some level that the body likes, regardless of the statin that I'm taking. Mm -hmm. It went from 60 to 135. Just like that. Wow. Remember, I'm doing a lot of blood testing. Yeah. All this stuff, dialing. So then I took the statin away, still taking the K, and it didn't change. Mm-hmm. I went, yes, got it. So then I started doing my heart scans again. And uh, basically from 2012 until now, I never, uh, never bothered uh, looking back. And uh, how quickly, since how quickly, Patrick, did you notice progress? Plus six. Well, I'm getting my heart scans about every four to six months. At this time, I had one in six months, mm-hmm. and it stopped. Mm-hmm. Six months later, it started to regress. Six months later, it started to regress. And so, let's see what I got here. From 2012 to 2018, I've had, I don't know, a 10% reduction in score and a 10% reduction in volume. And according to all the literature, which for me, it's a 15% product progression per year, I should have been dead in 2017 with a score of somewhere north, just a fuzz under 3,000. Wow. Wow. So, okay, <laughs> you were, so the, the literature suggests 
15% every year in terms of increase if you do nothing. Some people. Some. It can be up to 50%, if not doubling. Yeah. Depends on your body. And then you've regressed by 10%, which is incredible. So. Yes. Burning your literature should be dead. Wow. This is amazing. And. So by 2013, a bunch of doctors and a bunch of cardi, a bunch of holistic MDs, a holistic, you know, um, chiropractors and. They said, you should start telling people about this. And I said, I really don't want to. But 2013, they finally convinced me to start doing this. And so I said, look, if we're going to do this, let's make sure the website is just pure pure science. Mm-hmm. I don't want any hooey out there. Because I don't like that. I, I, I'm not that kind of guy. I'm not Billy May selling OxyClean. At <laughs> mm-hmm. What happened to Billy, though? <laughs> yeah, I know. He, he, he got his OxyClean real yep. well. And anyway, uh, uh, so, and I says, look, at people who have to buy this stuff are typically on fixed income. And so you have to make it affordable, mm-hmm. but you have to make it effective. So make a long story short, we started the business in basically June of 2013. And we just quietly just been growing it ever since. And uh, way you go. <laughs> Patrick, the story is an absolute inspiration. I mean, it's just, well, for me in particular, but also if you look at leading causes of death around the world, cardiovascular disease is the number one in I think most continents. Thank you for sharing your story here today and all of these tips and tidbits. I want to close out with what I call the superhuman six, which I know you've already taken the, the liberty to answer one of those, but- um, what's your favorite piece of technology that you've purchased in the past year? A carbon pole vaulting pole. You're pole vaulting. Yes. That's amazing. I took it up at the age of 55. <laughs> That's incredible. Incredible. If I was going to coach Jeremy to the Olympic team, I needed to know the pole vaults. Like, <laughs> but I just picked up a really nice, really cool pole vaulting pole. I'll have to come come and hang out sometime and do it. But uh, how do you unwind? Uh, I don't ever get nerved up. That's that's what's what's really really crazy. Ever since I was a little kid, I was an ice hockey goalie. My dad taught me at a very young age. It's just you and the puck. So stay focused and uh, just relax. Just 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 relax. So I've learned how to relax, and over all these years, I'm just just laid back. When everybody else is losing their head, I don't lose mine. It's uh, just how just how it is. That is such a good quote. You and the puck, stay focused. Uh, favorite holiday and vacate or vacation destination? Uh, I got that written down. Uh, anywhere that I am, that I'm vertical. Because that's every day and everywhere, it's a vacation. My life is my my hobby, and I truly rejoice in the folks in my life. So I, I, I wake up and I go, you know what? I'm doing better than Steve Jobs. <laughs> <That's> pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I've always been that way. Uh, it just uh, I grew up with an amazingly huge extended family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I got to bury all of them. And the more I buried, the more I appreciated being alive. And just just like being with you and sharing this with people. I'm going, cool, this is cool. This is this is better than uh, a week in Iceland. 
I mean, it, you know, Iceland's cool, been there, but this is really neat. So I, I'm very, I'm just happy to be alive, happy to be vertical, and happy to be with people. I just, it's because it's everybody's got a story. It's all really important. All our stories are. Yeah. Anyway, how do you enhance your productivity, or what's your favorite trick for enhancing productivity? I read and continually challenge myself to optimize my time. I'm constantly pushing myself. That's how I ended up being a. I was accused of being a pretty good ice hockey goalie back in the day. And uh, my dad had my, my dad uh, was kind of sort of my goalie coach up until I was 14. And then he said, I can't do anything for you anymore. And then, uh, uh, well, people would ask my dad and they go, Jim, Pat's a great goalie. And he's like, no, he isn't. He's still getting scored on. So I would, I've constantly been brought down to reality that you got, you got to constantly be better. And many times, my, uh, you know, you remember in, in Minnesota, hockey's a big thing. Oh, Michigan's a big thing. Yeah. My goals against average was 0.93. I was less. Than That's three. incredible. <laughs> That's, you know, I, I was pretty good at this. I was accused of being good. But like I tell people, I'm still getting scored on. So sometimes I would get scored on, and dad and I would go in the basement. We'd spend three or four hours trying to figure out how I got scored on. So I was constantly trying to figure out how I could do it better, faster, smarter. And that's how I've kind of conducted my life. Uh, constantly assuming that I can always be better and uh, going from there. So I love to read, thanks to mom. And uh, because there's a whole lot of experiences out there that other people have that I can learn from. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really cool, really. And now I'm getting my PhD in leadership right now from the University of the Cumberlands. It's awesome. And why? Well, now the company I work for, they're, they're, they're planning on me having their, me to be their trainer throughout their paper mills throughout the world. But if that, if that gig doesn't work out, I've got an offer to teach business at a business school and uh, coach attracting. So I'm going to go do that. Constantly pushing myself. I love the drive. Um, where can people find out more about you, Patrick? Uh, k-vitamins.com that's the website uh, you can always email me there concentratedk all one word at yahoo.com uh, people call me I'll get 8-10 phone calls a day from all over the world I'll shoot the breeze half hour, hour, 40, 40, two hours don't bother, don't bother me because hey we're all in this mess together and I, and I truly mean that so let's all pull together because you never know what you're going to learn so anyway patrick thank you so much for taking the time um thank you for having me i'm I'm really honored i'm incredibly grateful because you've given me a different perspective in terms of how i should attack things and i've read a lot of your stuff before i've heard you on other podcasts and it's just incredible to have you here so that i can ask you all of these questions that i have so Mm -hmm. thank you you're entirely welcome partner happy to work with you So I learned of Patrick from The Fat Emperor, which is another podcast, by the way, with a clever name. But Patrick, look, that conversation was incredible, right? He was on the brink or being told that he was going to die very shortly. And he took it upon himself to roll up his sleeves and really unmask and uncover this thing called heart disease. 
I'm extremely proud of what Patrick has done and I'm glad that I was able to pick his brain, especially because it's very, very relevant to me. And I look forward to continuing the conversations with him. If you enjoyed this episode with Patrick Toit, please send an email to podcast at decodingsuperhuman.com. Please also share it to all of your friends because cardiovascular disease is a very, very serious issue globally. And Patrick has done a lot of research into fixing himself. So please share it on all the social medias and head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. Every rating, every comment helps and brings me a lot of joy. Thank you for listening, superhumans, and have an absolutely epic day.